Well, amen, all God's people said. Amen. Aren't you glad that that blood will never lose its power? Praise God uh, for that. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 John uh, chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And I want to preach a message this morning uh, entitled, The Proof is in the Pudding. The Proof is in the pudding. I heard about a golfer that was an awful golfer. And he went out one day to play a round of golf, and his golf ball landed on an anthill. Well, he took a swing, and he completely missed his golf ball, but he hit the anthill, and thousands of ants went off in all directions. Well, he took another swing, and once again, he missed the golf ball, hit the anthill, and more thousands of ants went off in all directions, so much so that only two ants remained. And one ant looked at the other ant and said, if we're going to make it, we better get on the ball. <laughs> and that's so true. White Oak, listen. If we're going to make it through this world, the climate, the culture of this world, we better get on the ball. And what I mean is we better know what we know and we better live out what we know. John the Apostle he is the last living apostle, and he is writing this epistle. He is writing this letter for those who would read it, and also for you, and also for me. And our text today is an incredible text, and one that I want to encourage you to follow along, look at, and let's see what God would say to your heart and what God would say to my heart this morning. 1 John chapter 4, allow your eyes to fall on verse 12. 1 John 4 and verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Can you say amen? I love that. Look at, look at verse 14 again. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known 
and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Let's pray together. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bow before you. And God, again, we thank you so much that we can be right here, right now. We thank you for your word. It is alive and powerful. And God, I ask that you would help this preacher preach. Father, I pray that we might see truth individually and that we might see truth as, as a church. Father, help us to live out, help us to flesh out your word. I pray that you'd give me excellent recall of the things this week that I've studied, these things that I have bathed in prayer, and we'll be careful to give you the thanks, the praise, and the honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are two things that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture Uh, this morning. First of all, in our lives, we evidence something. We evidence something. We prove something. Now, as you're reading along and as we're studying along in this letter, John has been talking about love, 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 and I've been preaching about love, 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 love. And then all of a sudden, it seems, out of nowhere, he says this, no one has seen God at any time. It's almost like he just sort of drops this down uh, right here in his conversation about love. No one has seen God at any time. Now, let me quickly say that we know that God the Father is invisible that God the Father is spirit. But I want to remind you that in our reading in Exodus chapter 24, it says that they saw God and under his feet was like a pavement of sapphire. And then this morning, if you read this morning our reading, I think it's Exodus 33, it says that Moses talked with God face to face. And then it says that Ezekiel, later in the Old Testament, that Ezekiel saw visions of God. And then Isaiah, he said this. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And so how is it possible that God is invisible? How is it possible that God the Father is spirit And yet these others say that they saw God. Well, let me quickly say that it was either a theophany that they saw, a theophany which is an Old Testament appearance of the New Testament Christ. We see that throughout the Old Testament, a theophany. Or they are speaking anthropomorphically. The writer is speaking anthropomorphically, which means that they are attributing to God, who is spirit, attributes that we have as man, uh, 
a face or feet or a hand so that we can understand what he is saying and or also they are seeing God but not the full manifestation of God. And so if you remember in our reading this morning, if you've read it, it says that, that Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock. He did not see the full manifestation of the glory of God. And so, and so yes, um, it could have been a theophany or speaking anthropomorphically or, or they did not see the full manifestation of God. We know that God is spirit. Here in our text it says no one. In the Greek, that means absolutely no one. But I want to remind you also of what John says in his gospel in John 1.18. Notice on the screen, if you will, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So he says there very succinctly, no one has seen God at any time. And then Paul says it like this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Notice this. He is the image of the invisible, notice, the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So he is the invisible God. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then Paul, talking to young Timothy, puts it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, look at this, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so what I'm saying is this, church, and what he is saying is this, no one has the capacity to physically see an invisible God. I want you to take your Bible and turn, if you will, to John, the Gospel of John 14. This will not be on the screen. Um, I did not turn this in to be placed on the screen. I wanted you to see it in your Bible. John 14, notice beginning in verse 7. Look at what the Bible says. John 14, the Gospel, and verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. No one physically has the capacity to see an invisible God. 
You remember in John 4, I think it's in verse 24. Uh, we look at it in, in the combined adult class this morning that we have in the fellowship hall at 10 o'clock. Uh, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he said this, God is spirit, you remember that, and we must worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. So I'm spending some time on this because I'm heading somewhere. John, the apostle, he says in our text in 1 John, he says, no one has seen God at any time. He goes on in verse 12 and says this, if we love one another, look at this, God abides in us. If we love one another, look church, if I love you, and if you love me, if we love one another, if you love the person across the pews and across the church building, if you love, God abides. That word in the Greek is minnow, and it means to remain. It means to stay. It means to live. That God is living in you if you love one another. God abides in you. He uses that word abide over 20 times in this letter. It's a very important word that God abides in you. And look at verse 12. Look at verse 12, and this is what it says. And his love has been perfected in you. You ought to underline that word perfected. His love has been perfected in you. That word means his love has been accomplished in you. His love has been brought to maturity in you. His love, church, has been completed in you. His love has been finished in you. The New Living Translation says that it has come to a full expression in you, that it reaches its intended goal. His love reaches its intended goal in your life and in my life. It runs its full course. And here's what John is saying. Men can't see an invisible God, but they can see you. Did you hear what I just said? You can't see an invisible God. But when you love, an invisible God in many ways becomes visible. When you love agape love, when you love unconditionally, and when you love sacrificially, when you love like that, the invisible God becomes visible. That's why it's so important. That's why he's camping out so much on it. That's why he's put up a mailbox and he's sitting a while on love. I heard a story about a, a young boy that was out in the park and he was playing and it was cold. He did not have any socks and he did not have any shoes on. His family could not afford it. And so he was out there playing the best that he could. And this dear lady saw what was going on. And she went to the local department store. And, and she bought some socks and she bought a pair of tennis shoes. She went back to the park and she called him over and they sat on a park bench. 
And she lovingly began to put those socks on his feet. And she lovingly began to put those shoes on his feet. And, and she tied those shoes. The little boy looked up at this woman and said, Can I ask you a question? And she said, Yes. And he said, Are you God's wife? Are you God's wife? And she said, No, son, I'm, I'm not his wife. I'm just a child of God. She, he said, I knew you had to be some kin. I knew you had to be some kin. Oh, church. I heard that story when I was about 10 or 12 years old. I've never forgotten that story. I knew you had to be some kin. Why? Because you are displaying, you are demonstrating the love of an invisible God. When we love, we evidence something. When we love, we prove something. I want to be real with you this morning. Your co-worker may never read 1 Peter, but they're going to read your life. Your neighbor may never turn to the book of Lamentations. You rarely do. But your co-worker will never turn to the book of Lamentations, but they will observe your life. Your uncle who is lost may never look at the gospel of John, but they will look at your life. I love these words. You are writing a gospel, a chapter a day. By the deeds that you do, by the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? What is the gospel according to you, according to me? This begs the question. Church, this begs the question, can others... See an unseen God in your life. You say, preacher, some people are just irritating. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to disagree with that. That great theologian Charlie Brown said, some people are buggable and some are lovable. And there are a lot of buggable people. But nowhere in the Bible does I, do I see where it says, only love those who are lovable. Conversely, it says, love your enemy. Love those who despitefully use you. Here, he's saying, listen, if you live your life the way that you ought to live your life, you are going to evidence something. Look at verse 13 in our text. By this we know. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, how He has given us of His Spirit. I love this. I love this verse. Those of you that are here, you ought to look at this verse right there in your Bible. By this, by this, by this we know. That word know is gnosko, and it means this. We know by experience, not just an accumulation of facts, but we know by experience that we abide, this is so important, and next week, don't miss next week. I know what I'm about to say, next week, don't miss next week. 
We know that we abide in Him, and, and listen, it's mutual, and He in us. Why? Because He has given us of His Spirit. He has given. That is the perfect tense. And that means this. The Holy Spirit, when we are born again, when we are saved, when, when you gave your heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit became a permanent resident in your life. He doesn't come and then, and then leave. He is a permanent resident in your life. He is a permanent gift. So by this we know that we abide in Him and He abides in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And the only way that we can love is because we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. It's supernatural. It's not natural. Verse 14, it says this, And we have seen. We have seen and testified, John said, we He said, we have seen and testified that the Father, look at this, has sent the Son as Savior of the world. You know what he's saying? I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. That's what he's saying. He's turned into a farmer's commercial, farmer's insurance. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Look at it again, verse 14. And we have seen, we have seen and testified That word seen means to behold. It means to to give your attention to. It means to gaze. It's where we get the word theater. When we go to a movie, we look at the screen and and we gaze. He said, we've seen. Let Let me remind you of something. Let me remind you of how he starts this letter. Take your Bible and flip back one page. Probably one page. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Look at how he starts this. That which was from the beginning. He said, hey, we heard him. In other words, we heard his sermons. We heard his prayers. We heard his parables. We were there sitting on a rock. We were there sitting under a tree. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus spoke. And, and we heard him. And, and not only that, we, we've seen him with our eyes. He was not a phantom. He was not a ghost. We saw him with our eyes. We laid eyes on him, and we looked upon him, and our hands have handled. Can I tell you one of the things that has bothered me most about this COVID thing? I like to hug. I like to shake hands. I like to high five. And I, I'm telling you, for months and months, I've had to say, look at your neighbor and give them an air high five. Can I just tell you what? That stinks. That stinks. Doesn't it stink? Are you tracking with me this morning? I, I lo- and I don't like one of those dead fish handshakes either. I'm telling you what. <laughs> Somebody put their hand in barely. I like to grab a hand and shake a hand. I like to hug somebody. I like to high-five somebody. John is saying, hey, we saw him. We heard him. We handled him. We gave him a high-five. We shook his hand. We put our arms around him. We, We saw him. We handled him. Look at what he says. 
We handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and he just, his honeypot's turning over. He couldn't help himself. Hey, and we've seen him. We bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and he was manifested to us that we have seen and heard and declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying there? We have seen him. And back in our text, it says, we have seen, and then we have testified. That means, that word means we have affirmed and we have confirmed what we saw. In the Greek language, it's to give evidence, it's to give legal witness. We've seen and we testify that the Father, God the Father, has sent. We've talked about that word before, like an apostle Someone that has the credentials to be sent on a mission sent the Son as Savior of the world. Let me just give you this free. John, John talked more about the Trinity than any other gospel writer. He was always talking about the Father and always talking about the Spirit and Always talking about the Son. And right here in our text, he's talked about all three. And I love what he says here. That's why I emphasized it when we read it. And, and I want to emphasize it again. And we have seen and testify that the Father, hey, listen, he has sent the Son as Savior of the world. That word Savior, whoo! That word Savior, whoo! That word Savior is awesome! Back in that day, they called Zeus Savior. Back in that day, they called the Roman emperors Savior. Back in that day, they called the pagan false gods Savior. And what John is saying is saying, listen, we saw him. Woo! We handled him. We heard him. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus... And Jesus alone is the Savior of the world. He's alone the Savior of the world. Are you saying, preacher, are you trying to tell me in this culture in which we live? Are you trying to tell me in the climate in which we live that Jesus is the only way to heaven? That's exactly what I'm saying. That Jesus Christ is not a, but the Savior of the world. William Hendricks put it like this. Christianity applied the term of Savior exclusively to a Galilean carpenter named Jesus. And he did. We evidence something. Second, we express something. We evidence something, which means we prove something. We express something, which means we proclaim something. Look at what the Bible says in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he 
in God. That word confess, you got to put in your notes if you take notes, means to acknowledge. So whoever will acknowledge. That word confess means to agree with. And so whoever agrees with the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That word confess means to say the same thing. It means to own the truth. If you will own that truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the living God. And, and when you look at that word confess in the Greek language, it, it means more than you're just saying it. It is a lifetime commitment to that truth. Because it's easy just to say something. But to live it out, to, to flesh it out. A lifetime confession, a lifetime acknowledgement of the deity of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? That, that's something that I would not come up with on my own. That's something you could not come up with on your own. Think about it. Who would have ever come up with something like that? It's something that it, it's, that's hard to sit down at Starbucks and sell to somebody. It is. But it's true. It's true. And, and so we confess it. We live it. We understand the truth of it. Let me show you how powerful. Turn in your Bible. Again, this is not... Um, in, in your uh, notes, but turn to Matthew 16. I want to show you a passage. Matthew 16, and look at verse 13. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to flip over there. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Notice what it says here. If you're looking at home, let me read this to you. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, ain't no man. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So that's why in our text it's so important when he says, Whoever confesses that, that Jesus is the Son of God, Listen, God abides in him. He dwells in him and he in God. And then our last verse, verse 16. Notice what verse 16 says. And we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. What John is doing in this section, he's pulling it together. He's saying, hey, listen, God is love, and God loves you. God is love, and God loves you, and we are to love, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, 
And the, the, there's the, he's just laying this truth out. He's just laying this truth out. And so, church, let me just tell you, as a church, as believers, we better get on the ball. We got to get on the ball. We got we to gotta, we gotta know what we know and believe what we know and live out what we know. And, and yes, sometimes it's hard because sometimes people are not very lovable. But we gotta, we got to love them. I, I can't wait till next week. I know what I'm about to say next week. Don't miss next week. But listen, this week, you got to love. I'm telling you, church, that's the only thing that works. That is the only thing that works. It is the only thing that works. This week, I was shaving Daniel with an electric razor. It was charged. It was ready to go. And we were in a hurry. Imagine that. Standing in the kitchen, electric razor in hand, and I was shaving, and he had about a three-day growth of beard, and I was shaving, and nothing was happening. I said, my soul, this is new. This is a Christmas present. What's going on? It's always worked. I was shaving away, and, and I was doing that. This uh, so well, maybe let's try the other side. And I started doing the other side. Nothing worked. And I looked at him. I said, Scooter, what's going on? Scoot, what's going on? He said, Dah. And I showed him the razor, and he pulled the cover off. <laughs> the protective cover. He said, Now why? Guess what? <laughs> it worked. It worked. It took a 27-year-old with Down syndrome to teach me you have to take the cover off. It worked. Just beautifully worked. Listen, can I teach you something this morning? It works. It, it works. The only way that it works is Jesus flowing through you. And that's what John is saying over and over and over and over and over again. And I keep saying, next week, we're going to see how important this is. But I want to close with this. The proof is in the pudding. Look at your life. Preacher, look at your life. Tony, look at your life. Fill your name in. Look at your life. Is there, is, there, is there love for the unlovable? And I'm going to tell you, we're not going to always hit a home run on that. Are we? If you do, I want to know how. Because I don't. You're not always going to hit a home run. That ought to be, that ought to be, that ought to be the direction of our hearts. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. That's straight out of God's Word right there. We're going to have a time of invitation. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Every head is bowed, every eye closed. As we stand together.
right now. Just stand all over the auditorium as we stand. As David plays. This altar is open. This altar is open, and if you're here today, listen, no one looking. If you're here today and you just need to come and get on a corner of this altar and just spend a little bit of time with Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. Because I promise you, your pastor has done that in his personal study this week. Spending a little bit of time with Jesus concerning this passage of Scripture. If you're here this morning and you need to get on bended knee, you come. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, you come. As our altar is being used right there where you are, you come. Or right there in the pew, spend time and do a little business with the king. His name is Jesus. Then this morning, our the doors of our church are open. If you'd like to come and place your life here, we would love to have you. We'd love to have you place your life here. I'm going to pray. Right after I pray, as David continues to play, you come. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus. Father, I thank you for the Word of God that challenges my heart. It's like the lather that when they looked in and they saw the water, the reflection of that, they, they saw themselves and they saw what needed to be changed. God, I've done that this week in my own life as I've looked into your word. And I pray that all of us, God, here and all of us at home will do that very thing. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. This altar is open. If you want to join, you come. Right now is the time to come. If you want to join.